Welcome to the sermon podcast of South Hills Church in Costa Mesa. My name is Chris Kretzu, and I'm the campus pastor here. Thank you for carving out the time to listen to this today. I hope that you will be encouraged and challenged, and ultimately that you'll have a deeper sense of God's love for you. I'll be back after the message is over, but until then, I hope that you enjoy this episode. So I have a a few friends who recently discovered um, the wonders of the Elks Lodge. Uh, They're all in on the Elks Lodge very suddenly. And uh, so I've had a few conversations with them, and and the things that they have said have gone something like this. I fed my entire family for $60. Uh, you, You get travel discounts on rental cars. You get insurance discounts. Uh, One of them uh, was like, you would be amazed at how cheap the beer is at the Elks Lodge. And uh, and so they're all excited about this thing. And so I asked, I said, that's awesome. What do you do? And they're like, you just pay $180 a year. And then you're a part of this Elks Lodge. I was like, yeah, no, that that makes sense. But what do you do to be a part of it? Uh, On Sundays, they have all-you-can-eat pancake breakfasts and bottomless mimosas for $12. Uh, and, and all of the information that I keep getting is just like, here's what I get from being a part of the Elks, uh, the Elks Lodge. And they were very blurry on what, it, what they had to give other than a small fee up front. And, uh, and it's kind of funny. Last week, we talked about this idea of viewing our family as a team. And I think that that's the ideal. And we're going to talk more about that today of what does it look like to view our family as a team. Uh, but I think that the natural tendency that we have is kind of to view our family a little bit more as a club. Um, maybe, and again, I want to just expand our definition of family. I'm not just referring to like a, the Norman Rockwell painting of a family. This is your, your people. Uh, maybe it is an immediate family, your kids, your spouse. Maybe it is a, a group of friends that you have lived life with and they are your chosen family. Maybe you are still incredibly close with your uh, family of origin. There's, there's all kinds of versions of what family looks like, and, and we want to acknowledge that, and we want to honor and celebrate that. But I think that the natural tendency that we have is for our families to look a little bit more like a club than a team. Clubs are a place that we go to belong, a place that we hang out. Uh, you are in a club for you, for your own personal gain, for your own personal fulfillment, for the, the cheap pancake breakfasts or whatever it might be. I know the Elks Lodge is more than a club, first of all, if anybody's going to try and correct me later. I I know that. But um, uh, there's uh, book clubs. There's all kinds of clubs that you can get to be a part of. And it's nice to be able to get together and to belong. And you kind of get to engage at whatever level you are interested in engaging. And, And clubs are held together through shared activity, shared activity together. And I think for a lot of us, um, that's kind of how maybe we would even define what our families look like, what these close-knit, the closest relationships that we have. It's, it's shared activities. Teams, as opposed to clubs, teams are held together through a shared mission. They're working together to accomplish something. A team is put together to play a specific game, to accomplish a specific goal. Uh, people that are a part of a team will step up and lean in and sacrifice in order to see the vision or the mission realized And it's about the whole. It's never about the individual. And in fact, you don't have to scroll through Instagram or watch ESPN for very long to see how sometimes an individual 
can actually start to have a massive effect on the team and how the team plays or doesn't play or, or whatever it might be. There's a big difference between te- teams and, and clubs. So the question that I want us to wrestle through today is, are our families, are they more like a club where the primary job is to give people a decent place to hang out and belong Or do we realize that there is something much bigger and larger and more fulfilling up for grabs? And and if so, then what is is that exactly? And I want to start at the beginning because the beginning is always a good place to start. Uh, And the origin story of the scripture, the book of Genesis, the very beginning, it opens up with the heavens and the earth are being made. God is creating. Uh, It says that creation was formless and void. The Hebrew word there is tohu wabohu, and it's just this kind of chaos, this, this uh, formless, uh, it's something, but it's also nothing somehow at the same time. It's ready to be uh, shaped into something meaningful, something beautiful, something good. And, and so God, as a creator, begins to create, and he does it in two ways specifically. God forms and he fills. So he takes this chaos, he takes this kind of dark nothingness, and he forms something out of it. He, he begins to separate land from sea, sky from earth. He begins to form this chaos, this void into something, and then he starts to fill what he has formed. He fills it with plants and animals and creatures and, and all of these incredible things. And, and then in Genesis 1:26, it says, then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky, over the livestock and all of the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. And it's interesting, and we're just going to read a couple verses this morning, but it's interesting because uh, kind of right away, for some of us, we're familiar with this passage and we're familiar with this concept, and for some of you, you may be less familiar with it, but it's important for all of us, regardless of, of where you're at in that journey, to recognize that there's, uh, when it, we're looking at these pronouns, there's plurality in it. Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness so that they may rule. And this is an important thing for us to understand because God is not a singular being. The the theological term for it is called the Trinity. And it's three and one. And it is impossible to explain well at all, but especially if it's not the main point of today's sermon. But it's this plurality that God lives in, that God is somehow both three and one, three distinct Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and yet perfectly unified as one. And we see this from the very, very beginning. And God says, let us make mankind in our image. God's intention is to make us in a way that represents who God is, to identify and operate inside of relationship. The story goes on in verse 27. It says, so God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number. Fill the earth and subdue it. Rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. 
And so in this, in this story, in this opening creation poem, you have God who's creating something out of nothingness. He's taking chaos and he's creating beauty from it. And then God says, let us make mankind in our image. Let us make mankind in our image. And so then it says that God made man and female. So God made two that somehow both represent who God is uniquely, beautifully, individually. They, they both have this image of who the creator God is. And then he gives them an assignment that required them to work together. And we have been struggling with that ever since. Um, he gives them an assignment that requires them to work together because the way that we are created is that you can't be fruitful and multiply on your own. Maybe in a few years, we'll see what science does. But at this point, there is this unique uh, requirement that God had for people to come alongside each other to accomplish his mission, to form and to fill. It's a team sport. It's about a family and a relationship. And again, I just want to say this is not about necessarily mom, dad, two and a half kids, and a white picket fence. This is about us coming together, each of us bearing the image of who our creator God is and saying, none of us on our own can accomplish what God has called us to accomplish. We're called to lean in to this family. And like a lot of Hebrew poetry, which this beginning part of Genesis is Hebrew poetry, there's more than one meaning and more than one implication to this idea of being fruitful and multiplying. The first one is maybe what we would assume is having a family making more of yourself. And God is saying, I made you in my image. Now I want you to go and make others in your image. I want you to continue to make others. And at this point in our life and in our world, that looks a, a thousand different ways. Things are not the perfect ideal that they were in the garden. And so the realities of the world now is, is that our families grow through a thousand different means from whether it's a, a nephew or a niece that you have decided to bring into your home to care for them as your own child, whether it's through fostering long-term or short-term or adoption, or whether it's having children of your own, or whether it's saying, you know what, I don't feel called to have children, but I have a family and here's who we are. We are called to lean into this reality of connecting with others. And the second part of this, the second way that we can understand this is by uh, being fruitful and multiplying is expanding the environment and the values and the culture that exists. God's inviting humans to be his co-creators, to take the components that he made and connect them together in order to make something new. It's so fascinating to me, and I've been really like stuck on this idea uh, for the last few months. Honestly, it started when we did our series a few months ago. We talked about work and vocation and calling, and, and I've been just stuck on this idea ever since then. But, but God created, and then he gave us kind of the raw materials. In the Garden of Eden, if you read through the description of what is actually in the Garden of Eden, which is fascinating, and maybe you don't know that, but it actually says, hey, here's the types of things that were in this garden. And it wasn't all fruits and vegetables. Uh, there's one notorious fruit that was in the Garden of Eden, but it's all just raw materials. And the Garden of Eden wasn't uh, described as the entire world. It was described as this plot of land. The Bible actually tells us where its boundaries were. So there's this weird kind of dynamic as you're reading this creation poem, there's this idea of, wait, why didn't he just make everything perfect? Why didn't he just make everything the way that it needed to be? 
And from the very beginning, as we see in this poem, God says, here is me creating. Here's what it looks like to take chaos and formless and nothingness and turn it into something good and beautiful and meaningful to accomplish something. Now I want you to do it. I've created multiples of you that uniquely carry my image, my identity, my creative power, and I want you to work together, and I want you to to take the realities of what you see here, and I want you to form it into new things. I want you to continue creating. Be fruitful and multiply is not about copying, it's about creating. The same way our, our kids aren't a copy of us as parents, they're a combination of us as parents. They aren't clones, they're, they're different than we are, sometimes very different than we are, and sometimes very similar. You guys know by now, I talk about them all the time. I have two kids, and both of them look very different from each other, and also they both look like they're part of our family, and it's a bizarre thing, and one of them acts very much like me. Pray for him. Uh, and, <laughs> But there's this weird kind of dynamic of, man, that is my child, and he looks just like me, and he acts just like me, but also he has these things that are just like his mom, and he has these other things that are just like, I don't know where he got those things from. <laughs> He's his own person. It's not 50% me and 50% my wife. It is a new creation. And the same thing is true with my younger son. He looks like the Mexican side of our family tree, my wife's family. He does not look like me. In fact, he looks exactly like his grandfather. And it is hilarious and adorable and bizarre. And I'm like, that's my kid? I don't understand what's happening here. But it's not even just the way he looks. It's his mannerisms. It's so weird. And, and we see this in our kids. I've just never noticed it with like a kid and their grandfather. My father-in-law loves to wear hats, just perched, just ever so lightly on the top of his head. The side of his head has never felt a hat. <laughs> and that is exactly what my younger son does when he has a hat on, and I don't know why. And my father-in-law loves to lay down anywhere. <laughs> and I've told you stories about my child and laying down on the football field and everywhere, and he just crosses his legs and loves to relax. And I mean, it's, like, it's not just the looks, it's the, it's the mannerisms and the behaviors there's like this crazy thing that happens in our families where we take our individual uniqueness, but the fact that we are stamped with the image of the creator, loving, divine God, each of us, and we somehow are creating new things because of who we are and the way that we live and work together. But God didn't want them just to expand a family, he also wanted them to expand the garden through their family. God wanted them to recreate their healthy relationships and recreate this environment with the intention that both of them would continue transforming and subduing the earth. There's a, a reality that God is inviting us to partner with him. And it's fascinating to think about the Garden of Eden, and I don't know what image you have when you think of the Garden of Eden, but it's fascinating to think of it and be like, oh, you want me to follow that? Awesome. It's like, have you guys ever done one of those paint nights? Where it's like, it's at any skill level. And you sit down, and the instructor's like, okay, I perfectly recreated a Van Gogh, and so let's see if you can do that. And it's like, what? It's always feel, it feels so defeating when you're like, I can't do that. 
But God calls us and he trusts us and he created us to do that, to continue creating, to continue impacting and taking chaos and creating beauty and goodness out of it. And we do it by having and growing families and family units. And we do it by saying, what does it look like for us to, to rule is the word that it uses in scripture, subdue the world around us, to bring order and peace, or the Hebrew word is shalom, to it. Shalom is wholeness, nothing missing and nothing broken. We're called to do that out of the chaos that is around us. There's a calling that we have in our families. And if God is calling us to do this and he's incorporating us in the process, then the answer to this first problem in the Genesis story is a family. The answer to the, the question of how are we going to get the rest of the world to be beautiful and good and whole, God says, I, I want you to do it with others. I want you to live alongside others and replicate and create. And God's done things this way throughout scriptures. He promises to bless all of the nations through the family of Abraham. And then later on, he promises to bless the nations through the bigger family of Israel, and then ultimately through his son, Jesus, and then after that, through the church, which is called the family of God, and we're adopted as children of God. Everything continues to point back to the idea of this family having an impact and a, uh, a force in the world around us to create and to create good. There's a reason. There's a purpose there's a mission. It's not a club that we're supposed to just make sure nothing bad happens in the club until they're 18. It's like, no, we're called to do something together, to accomplish something together. It's a slow and intentional process, but God does things so differently than we do, especially in the modern world, especially in America. I want us to, to recognize God builds families, not factories. Love prioritizes relationships over requirements. Your heavenly father emphasizes what over how. And I, I use different terms for God because I think each one of these kind of reads a little bit differently. We could say God builds families, not factories, and God prioritizes relationships over requirements, and God emphasizes what over how, but, but God is love, and God is our Father, and it's important for us just to hear these things in different ways to understand the nature of how he's wired us, the nature of how we're moving together. I want to reread that verse, Genesis 1, 28. It says, God blessed them, and he said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over the fish and the sea and the birds and the sky and over every living creature that moves on the ground. And that's a whole lot of what and not a whole lot of how. There's a lot of room for us to figure out what does it look like to do that, to navigate what that looks like, because God wants us to have ownership of this creative process to take inventory of what we have and who we are, the ways that we're uniquely wired. God seems to prefer to lead us through vision and values instead of rules and regulations. This is the way that God parents us. So I want to tease out this idea uh, of teams a bit more and what does it look like for us to live as a team in our families? And I want us to create a framework to understand our why, 
to understand your why. What is it that you are living for? Uh, what is it that you're living towards? It's not just a club, but it's actually there's a, a team and a mission that we're going for. And I want us to, to look at what this is, and I want to give some resources on how to, how to work this out. And actually, on your way out today, before you get the nachos, uh, you're going to get uh, a little bag with some information. And, and inside of that, there's some sheets of paper that are actually built to help either you or uh, you and your spouse or your partner or, or your family kind of create a mission statement for yourself or for your family as a whole. Hey, Mason. Hey, <laughs> oh, I love it. Um, so I want to talk through a framework of what it looks like. And if you guys are taking notes or taking pictures, I think that there's some practical things that can happen here. So three filters for thinking through a framework for our family. The first one is purpose, what we are ultimately here for and why. And there's like a general overarching purpose. And then there's a, a specific to you and your crew purpose. Uh, as you think through teams, all MLB teams have the same goal, which would be to win the World Series. Again, sorry, Dodgers fans. Not really. Uh, but um, but there's, this, there's this goal, there's this thing that they are moving towards. There's nothing else that matters beyond that uh, championship. There's nothing else that matters. And our families have a goal as well. There's this general goal that we have to to be fruitful, to multiply, to garden, to produce good things, to replicate our values, to cultivate healthy growth in the world around us. There's, there's these kind of general goals that we are given as families and really as individuals. Jesus was uh, asked, what is the most important law in all of the Old Testament, all the law and the prophets? What's the important, most important command? And Jesus said, love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, this is the first and the greatest commandment. And the second is like it. Love your neighbor as yourself. And so there is this kind of overarching uh, calling that we all have, this overarching purpose that we all have. We have it as individuals, but it absolutely exists in our families. The second piece for us is not only just to think through our purpose, what we're ultimately here for, but also the playbook to keep on this sports metaphor. How is it that we're specifically going to go about it here in our family? We have the same thing for us as a church. We know who God's called us to be as followers of Jesus, but we also feel like God has given us at South Hills a specific mission, and it guides the decisions that we make. It guides why we do things. It guides why we have good chorizo and not bad chorizo and all kinds of other important details about what it means to be a Christian. Thank you for laughing, you guys. I just need to make sure you know sometimes I am joking around. But, but this idea of how do we specifically go about it, and for your family, yes, you have a general purpose and a general calling, but what is, what is it that your family is uniquely gifted at and good at? Our families go about this idea of being fruitful and multiplying in different ways depending on the skills and personalities and passions of the family. Some families are really passionate about serving in their community, taking care of the people that don't have the resources that they need to be successful or healthy. Some families are really passionate about volunteering. There's families that have showed up to our church once and then the next week that the entire family was volunteering in different areas because they're just wired with that type of unique gear. There's some families that are incredibly generous. There's some families that are incredibly hospitable. There's, there's all of these different aspects that show up in families. 
And it's important for us to note, it's not like you get to pick yours and ignore the rest. We're called to live all of these ways, but we're uniquely shaped to thrive in one. There's gifts and passions that God has given each one of us. Ephesians 2.10 says, we are God's handiwork. We are created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. A psalmist talks about how we were knit together in our mother's womb. There is like this intentionality as a child of God. We bear God's image the same way that my children bear my image. And it is clearly obvious and incredibly unique to them. They're not just me. They have different gifts and abilities and, and, and all these different things. And the same is true for us and our families. We are created to do good things, and God has prepared those in advance for us to do. So what are those good things that God has set aside for you or for your family to do? Does your whole family know what those things are? Maybe you're wondering, how do you even know what it is? How do we figure this out? And so some of the common questions that people talk through in this idea of trying to figure out what their calling is or their mission is or, or what they're uniquely called to do, some questions like, what excites us? What inspires us? What makes us sad when we see it in the world around us? What makes us upset at different injustices or things that are broken or not as they should be? What are the gifts or the abilities that are within us, whether they're spiritual gifts or whether they're, um, what's the opposite of a spiritual gift? Practical, physical gifts? I don't know. I should have done some research before I preached this sermon, you guys. Uh, there's just this reality of, of kind of taking stock of recognizing who is it that is, is making up our family. I talked a little bit last week about how Ez and I are in this difficult stage and it, it almost feels wrong to say but it's not, and it's, it's a very freeing thing for us, but we're in the stage of loving the family that we have, not the family that we thought we would have. The children that we have, not the ones we thought, the, the things that they are passionate about, not the ones that we thought that they would be passionate about or wished that they were passionate about. So what is that for you and your family and your community and your closest relationship? So what is the purpose we're ultimately here for how do we specifically as individual families go about it? And then the third one is position. How can I uniquely contribute to our goal in the context of this family? And this is kind of easier to think through for like as, as a parent or as an adult, but it's actually really fun to think through for kids. I'm not telling them like, here's how you can contribute. Clean up your room, like I said. Uh, although we've all done that. But but thinking and taking stock, we talked about this a little bit last week, like what is it that you are so naturally good at? What is it that you are so gifted at? And how do we fuel that? How do we create space for that to, to grow and for other people to see? And, and I mean, we all know that kids can change the world just as much as any adult. We all know that kids can teach us just as much, if not more, than any pastor can. We all know that, that kids have endless amounts of impact and ability. So what does it look like for us to acknowledge that and say, what is, what is the part that you get to play in helping us as a family accomplish our mission? The same question is true for us as adults. What is the thing that you get to play? What is the position? A few years ago when we lived in Des Moines, we were trying to find some new relationships and cultivate some existing relationships. And so we decided to, to start a kickball team. 
And, uh, and, you know, one of the best parts about starting any sort of sports team is naming it. And so we had all these conversations about what we were going to name it. And I don't know if this would, I don't think this would be an appropriate um, name anymore. But I'm going to tell you guys what it was. And if you laugh, I'll say it in second service. But if you don't laugh, I'm not going to say it in the second <laughs> service. Uh, so it was a kickball team. And so we named our, it was a Katy Perry themed kickball team. And we named our team, I Kicked a Girl and I Liked It. <laughs> based off the hit song. I, okay. Okay. Anyway, so uh, we're out there and uh, I thought it was going to be so fun, especially for my wife because she loves sports and, uh, and it uh, just so happened that we were at the most artistic church in Iowa, not the most athletic church in Iowa. And so the entire season was just so painful for her. And the, the pinnacle moment was when she was coaching and managing our team, and she told this one lady, it was not me, I promise, although I'm not far off. She said, okay, you're going to be on second base. And the lady t- turns like, you got it, and starts running out. And these are adults. I just need to say, these are adults. You're on second base. She starts running towards the field, and then she stops and turns around. She's like, which one is second base? <laughs> And as pointed in, like, that's second base. You're on second base. And then she went over, and she stood on second base, you guys. And my wife cried a single tear, and we moved back to California. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, but each of us have a position. We have something that we are good at, and there's a way that we can support our family. We can support our marriage. We can su- support our, our friend group. We can support our small group. Each of us has something uniquely Uh, about us that we are gifted at, and God wants us to use that. God does not want you to be like everyone else or do things the way that everyone else does things. You uniquely bear the image of God in a way that nobody else does. That means that people can only experience an aspect of who God is. There's something that you are the only one that can help other people experience that. Your children My kids are the only ones that carry this unique piece of who God is. So what is that position for us? And how do we do that well? I think that um, I want us to wrestle with this and answer this question because knowing who we are called to be brings a lot of clarity to what we ought to do. There is no shortage of things to do, ways to spend time, things to sign up for, ministries to serve in, communities to care for. I mean, like the list goes on and on and on. There's no shortage. But knowing who you are uniquely called to be brings clarity to what you ought to be spending your time focusing on. And when you spend some time thinking through these questions, it makes it easier to know what to say yes to and what to say no to. So I want us to ask this question, do you see your family as a team brought together by God to leverage each person's gifts and talents and personalities to accomplish God's purpose in the place that you live? Is your family living into the bigger story? Or do you see your family as a club, which is nice to be a part of with some benefits, but in general, you're just kind of here? I want us to think through this, and I want us to craft a plan so that our family can move forward by design instead of just by default. Because Life is exhausting and hard and tiring, and there's a lot of times when our team loses. Sorry, Dodgers fans. Um, it's, it's, it's hard. And when it's hard, we get dejected, and sometimes we just get winded or whatever it might be, and we just start kind of living by default. And default is just making sure your kids 
are healthy, your marriage is healthy, and those are not bad things. Those are not bad things at all. Some of us need to just try and get to that level. But there is so much more that we are called to. God wants us to use these connections, these relationships, to lock arms together to change the world around us. So as I said, on the way out, we're going to give you guys some resources. You can do it on your own. If you are single, it is something that is massively important for you to think through this now. I'm doing premarital with a couple right now, and it's the hardest premarital I've ever done because they are perfect for each other. (laughs) Uh, It's like bizarre. Uh, And the reason, one of the reasons why they are perfect for each other is because each of them had written out what they wanted to pursue in life, what they were passionate about, what what they cared about, what they were gifted in. And they looked for someone who would help fit and support and lock arms with And they found that. And it doesn't mean that everything's going to be peachy all the time. But there are some beautiful things that we can do when we lean in to who God has called us to be fully as individuals, as parents, as spouses, as friends. We are not called to do this alone. Let's pray together. Well, regardless of where you may be at in your faith journey, I believe that everyone has a next step that they can take. If you'd like more information about what it means to put your trust in Jesus, information about getting baptized or maybe even attending a Discover class to grow more in your faith, you can visit us online at southhills.org forward slash Costa Mesa and then scroll down to the next steps section. If you'd like more information about tithing or supporting South Hills financially, you can visit southhills.org forward slash giving. Thanks again for listening today, and I hope that I get to see you soon.